of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? What's up, Karthik? It took 13 years under Ted Leonsis's, uh artful ownership for us to finally get to the place that the Washington Wizards always deserve to be in, and that was the process 2.0. Tank season is officially here. Many years after it should have been started, uh, once John Wall's Achilles snap, we should have been in this mode. Uh, we we sadly delayed, cost ourselves in incalculable ways. But following the Sunday trade of Bradley Beal to the Phoenix Suns for me, you, and uh, a bag of chips, <laughs> we're gonna we're set to win twenty two games next season. I couldn't be happier. So before we get to the mechanics of the trade and, you know, the Suns and the Wizards, just what was your first reaction? The moment that tweet came up or you saw the news, just relief was a little bit of bittersweetness because the Wizards somehow got fleeced. But in some ways, you're mentally prepared for that, right? Given the no trade clause. I got a lot to say on this topic. Um, And I was joking when I said I couldn't be happier. I'm actually in pure agony about this deal for a lot of reasons. So before I mention it and, and uh, Newport would be uh, upset if I didn't mention this as well on the pod. So Sunday comes around, she's out of town. Take a sm- I'm taking a sm- the smallest of naps on the couch. It's literally just dozing suits. Just hit Netflix. Feels like I'm watching the show for the first time again, all over since it's on a new platform. And you know, we're going through the Ava Hessington case, trying to figure out what's going on with Hessington oil. <laughs> and I fall asleep, get a text from noobs in addition to like 85 others in the background. But let's just say that was the first one I read that said, Bradley Beal's on the Phoenix Suns, huh? And I was like, what? So she, she broke, broke it the, to you? She was Damn. my woge. Uh, <laughs> I have to admit that. But I was like, what are you talking? Because... I guess it wasn't like the most shocking development in that I think earlier that morning or the previous night, I can't remember. They were basically like, it's the two finalists. It's the Suns and the uh, the Heat. Neither package seemed overly enticing, but I thought at the very least we were getting at least Aiden or Hero out of it. I wasn't sure how exactly I felt about either player in those contracts, but I was like, okay, fine. It's a young building block. Trade comes out. It is... Uh, the First of all, with the team that has no first-round picks, um, the Heat at least had a couple they could trade. It's what? It's Shamit. It's Chris Paul. I believe it's five or six second-round picks, which is uh, near the maximum you can trade. And it's two pick swaps. So the problem, and I think a lot of Wizards fans were facing with this, is it was high time to hit the reset button. Everyone knew it. We started this podcast in 2019, correct? How many of these seasons have I been begging the Wizards to trade Bradley Beal? Every one. Every single one. Maybe the first one after 18, 19. Okay, let's try to figure out post-wall. Let's see. But since then, pretty much defiantly begging them. What did we talk about last year with the no-trade clause and the Supermax? It's It's not often. It's a disaster. It's not often you can predict in the moment how bad a trade is going to be. Um, a lot of people, I would say, did that with the Westbrook to the Lakers trade. Uh, I should say just a trade. A move is going to be. A lot of people did that with the Rudy, Rudy Gobert to Minnesota trade. One thing I think that had universal approval of being a bad decision was the Wizards offering a B or C level player in Bradley Beal a no trade clause, one of ten in NBA history. They flaunted it as a as a sign of partnership and it was so clear as day to anybody who had a pulse that they were just going to get absolutely raked over the coals when the time came for Beal to to ask out and wanted to go in a different direction. It wasn't necessarily even the money that was going to cause problems because although he makes a ton of money, as New Year's roll through, there's going to be a next set of contracts that are now bigger than his. And therefore, there's going to be A, more tradable contracts, B, his number is going to look less egregious, and C, as the cap is going up, it's going to be a smaller percentage of the overall cap. So now you have a situation where it's not the contract. It is 95% is this no-trade clause. It's not only that Beal could direct himself to whichever team he wanted to. For example, the Kings were interested. The Raptors were interested. Who cares? If he doesn't want to go there, it doesn't matter what the offer is. 
they could put Fox and Savonis on the table, wouldn't matter, right? The issue is also that people were not talking about enough. If he says the package from the team that he does want is too rich for his flavor, meaning they're giving up too much, he could also reject that and say, yeah, I want to go to Phoenix, but not for all that because I need to play with some dudes, right? What you end up with is basically a salary dump of what I consider I did my top 60 rankings, about a top 40 player in the NBA, top 35, 40 to 45 player, depending on how you view him. I think I had him at 42. Um, And it is just franchise malpractice to be in that position. And as Wizards fans, we couldn't be mad at the new front office because they had nothing to do with that deal, but it was the culmination of the mismanagement of Bradley Beal over the last three to four years in which Ted Leonsis is still in charge and still calling the shots ultimately that led to, like you called it bittersweet. I would call it frustration and agony mixed with some sigh of relief that we're slowly making our way to the other side of whatever this looks like. I think the disappointing part, you mentioned a partnership. You would think that Beal would try to do the Wizards a solid and look, I know he owes them nothing, but given that they paid him the big contract, they gave him the no trade clause. I get that Beal, I mean, the whole problem is that he's not going to want a team, go to a team that's barren of assets. So that's going to be part of what he dictates. But at some point, you got to bend a little for the team that did so much for you. And I think that's the part that if I'm a Wizards fan, I'd be a little disappointed. It's like, dude, this guy, the franchise kind of, as bad as the franchise has been at putting together a winning roster, they at least did right by him. And, I, you know, so Carmelo caught a lot of flack when he got traded from the Nuggets because I think the, the logic was he could have signed with New York and free agency, but ended up getting traded. And it helped out Denver in that situation, but kind of left New York with fewer assets. And But at least in some ways, that was kind of doing Denver a solid because they got something back for him. I think in this situation, you would have hoped that, like you said, Aiden would be the, the player they got in return. Or if you went to Miami, there were some pieces, right? Maybe Hero, another another player or two. But the fact that you got nothing, as good as it is that you got off the contract, to be in the situation and knowing it could have been avoided all this time, I think that's probably the hardest part to swallow. Yeah. I mean, look, at the end of the day, they should have traded him two years ago when he was on a smaller contract. But even if they traded him now, just not giving him the no trade clause, which again, made absolutely no sense because they were outbidding nobody. There was nobody who could offer anything close to the money he made and nobody who could um, really come close to matching anything on the contract aside from the uh, no trade clause. It just didn't make any sense. And what were they even playing for, right? And Bradley Beal, as good of a scorer as he is, has declined in a lot of ways in the last three, four years. His shooting has declined. Um, his just usage has declined. His scoring has taken a hit. He's playing fewer games. So you're now paying for an asset or, or locking in an asset that's probably on the back half, if not in the decline uh, post-prime, and it as the number one option on your team, which, again, is not very much... Uh, in line with how uh, modern NBA team building would function. So so all in all, it's a miracle that we were able to wipe off this contract from the books without giving up um, any picks or taking on uh, future money beyond this upcoming season. However, at the same time, when you think of a player like Bradley Beal, who's thought of as one of the best in the league, who hasn't even turned 30 yet, um, that you would expect some assets back. And so the wizards are in a unique position where they're starting the tank like they should have, but they aren't starting with the base, a war chest of assets, the way the thunder did after the Paul George trade or the rockets did after the James Harden trade or, you know, several other instances like that. So we're torn about it. We're happy. We're moving on to the new phase, but it's certainly going to be a painful couple of years. Uh, No thanks to Bradley Beal. Well, that's all true. At some point, you're just happy. I think, you know, in a week, you'll get over it and you'll be happy to start fresh. It's a brand new, like you said, brand new management. Um, and there's reason to believe that the the front office now is, is competent. They'll make the right moves. Right now, you have to deal with the inevitable and shed kind of the past mistakes. And, you know, with the Kings, something similar happened with with Vlade. Um and some of the mistakes we made 
and I think you'll be fine, man. Honestly, uh, there's you're still the butt of all the jokes, but ultimately, with a new slate, you don't have a high pick, so you have no real good starting point, sure, but at least your books are clear, which is always helpful. The books are clear, and they can kind of choose what path they want to forge from here on out. But I'll tell you what, dude. One thing that's very refreshing is just to, to have a freaking direction, you know? And to feel like we have a general sense of what we're trying to do as a franchise versus aimlessly pursuing, you know, false hope like the freaking play-in tournament. And it really feels like Ted Leonsis came to his senses in a way that for whatever reason has just never happened before by the fact that he brought in Michael Winger and crew. They were given full autonomy by all reports to do whatever they wanted. And within like a week, if not that, uh, they traded the franchise player, the second leading scorer in, in, in franchise history. They are on the verge of trading Christoph Porzingis if they won't fuck it up, which right now we can't exactly tell what's happening. Uh, at the time of this recording, which is 10.26 p.m. Central Time, the deal that was proposed between the Celtics, Clippers, and Wizards has fallen apart. So we don't know if he's going to get traded. It might happen in the next 30 minutes. It might happen later. It might not happen at all. So nonetheless, uh, that embarrassment aside, it does feel refreshing that we're finally picking a lane that actually makes sense for what the talent is on this team. Yeah, and if you're able to get rid of Porzingis, uh, Kuzma is obviously going to be... There's maybe a sign-and-trade potential there? I don't know. Or yeah. do you think they'll just... Yeah, um, I mean, it kind of depends if he's willing to play ball and there's a team he wants to go to that does not have the cap space to sign him out right. So if he wants to go home to Detroit or something like that and they're interested in him, then it's unlikely we can participate. But let's say he wants to go to Dallas, go play with Luka and Kyrie. I've already thought through a number of trade proposals that would make that work. So we have to kind of figure out where he wants to be and play go off of that. But, you know, uh, the ball is in his court in some ways, but I'm sure they're looking at getting an asset back from him. Whereas, you know, the past regime would try to like lock him up to a $30 million a year contract and then, you know, pitch us at the press conference that he's the new face of the team. That's the other thing, right? You really were at a pivotal point um, before this new group came in where this year you could have doubled down on this roster. Um, knowing you're saddled with Beal, re-signed Kuzma, uh, Porzingis, um, let's say he opts in, and you're you're kind of stuck, right? I for the next if, several if, years. If they never fired Shepard, that would be our reality. Yeah. So you you know, like in some ways you're really lucky. You should be thanking the heavens that it's played out this way. And Chris Paul, we didn't even talk about Chris Paul. That is still potentially oh, an yeah. asset you guys can move, right? Unless you end up waiving him. It is kind of funny that we got Chris Paul at the tail end of his career. We got I don't know if he'll play for us or not. My guess would be no. We got Russ at the end of his career, which, you know, he did play for us. We got Paul Pierce at the end of his career. Um, you know, we've been able to pull, pull in some veterans about eight to ten years later than we needed them. Um, but, you know, that that's uh, – and, hey, Danilo Gallinari could be on this team in an hour. So that's another guy we wanted back in 2016. So there's a lot of uh, promise just in terms of the names on the roster. But no, all jokes aside, I think Paul will be moved for an asset. If they end up going forward with this trade, there's going to be other vets they get that are probably going to be moved. They're really going to gut this thing, and it's going to be an ugly two years, man. I'll tell you that much. Um, a necessary two years, but if you thought the Wizards were kind of painful to watch in recent times, I don't even know what the next couple of years are going to look like. This is going to be straight out of the uh, Oklahoma City playbook. So will you be watching more? Or less than previous years. Because I think usually when teams tear it down to the studs, there's usually at least one young guy or high draft pick involved where you're rooting for him. And in your case, you've got what? Johnny Davis? <laughs> um, the 30th Don't pick this year? There's Davis. no one to really root for on this barren of a roster. So what? Yeah, how are you approaching you. the next season? Yes, thank you. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, perspective there no so from what i understand johnny davis has grown uh this offseason oh god already so talking i believe about he's six eight potentially so you know watch out for kind of that ben simmons-esque uh well he certainly has ben simmons proclivity for shooting um <laughs> but watch out for that kind of apex predator uh wing kind of doing do all do everything uh, guard next year i think that could be big no i think it all boils down to what happens in the draft 
if we figure out a way to get a stud or number eight looks like a guy who's something, I'm going to watch more. Um, if we end up with like, I don't know, Cam Whitmore and he's shooting like 32% from the field and 26% from three, then no, I'm probably not going to be watching that much. Is there any chance you could package that pick with 30 and move up? Do you think there's any well, intentions to try to move the up Clippers, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and we don't have that pick anymore. Or was it from the Celtics? I don't recall. But either way, that trade is not even – I don't even know what to make of it. If we end up with the number 30 pick, I was thinking, could we go 38 and, like, one of our young guys, like Kispert, and move up into the top three? I don't think it's worth it to – move up to the top four. So I really think it's got to be three or bust. And that's only if Scoot ends up falling, which we're going to get to and talk through Charlotte and what they're trying to do. But to me, I would trade for Scoot. I would trade anything for Scoot. I don't know that I would do it for anyone else in this draft. Well, if you stay at eight, the ringer right now has you taking uh, Kobe, which is, um, you know, you can squint your eyes and look at that as uh, something exciting. Kobe Bufkin, that is, but. It is Kobe. Truth be told, I don't know who Kobe Bufkin is. That could be a 2K name. Um, that could be your neighbor. It could be a guy that you had AP calculus with in 11th grade. I'm not sure who Kobe Bufkin is. Is that a college player? Michigan sophomore. Oh, God. Nick Hill's going to be on my ass if we draft him. <laughs> maybe. You know maybe what's crazy? Can. We're now entering the, the era where all these guys entering the draft were named after the players we grew up with. Mm, That's a good point. This guy was clearly born, what, in 2004? So, obviously, Kobe makes sense. You're going to see some more LeBron soon. Um, I've yet to see a LeBron. That's an interesting one. I've not seen one. No, I think it's in a couple of years, right? Because LeBron really started playing well, you know, 2006, 2007. I think those kids, a couple of years down the line, are going to be the ones named LeBron. Have you seen those features of like all the people named Jalen? No. There's like so many people named Jalen, Jalen Brown, Jalen Green, like literally Jalen Williams. And a lot of it, if you look at like the trajectory, a lot of it is due to the popularity of Fab Five. (laughs) Really? Wow. I mean, granted Fab Five and Jalen Rose was much younger, but that, if I remember correctly, there were not, that was not a common name. Uh, prior to Jalen Rose. And now you hear it all the time. Jalen Suggs, Jalen Hurts. Uh, there's so many different al- alternate spellings that, that people go with. I've heard that he's like patient zero for this huge population of Jalen's out there. So, Wow. Uncorroborated fact there. <laughs> um, so we're probably the first podcast that did not lead with uh, the Suns. But before we move over to the Suns and implications for them, um, the last thing I'll say about the Wizards is he the 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 decisions or lack there of decisions with Beal and the rest of the roster probably cost us about two years in the rebuild. The question that will be really interesting to me is the new nucleus has a pretty decent track record of drafting between Atlanta, uh, Oklahoma City, and the Clippers, especially from not top pick spots right like if you think about the thunder the only real top pick they got was chet and we haven't actually seen him play yet the clippers they got sga at 12 they picked terrence Mann later in the first round so they really haven't picked at the top of the draft uh in recent years and similar to the hawks they did get you know the infamous trey young for luca pick but a kongu at six and they had deandre hunter at four so they've picked towards the top but not really right right there so given that the Wizards are, you know, picking eighth this year and really need to nail it, it'll be interesting to see how they de- how they identify whichever prospect they find to be like that next diamond in the rough who slips through the cracks a little bit. Yeah, I mean that's the hope. That's the hope you guys can nail it. But um and you know, if you nail it this year, you're going to be really bad next year. You get another top 5 pick. That's when you start to build a core, talk yourself into something, make some shrewd moves in the offseason. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not, I mean, it looks extremely dire right now, but you're right. Things can turn around pretty quickly. Um, yeah. even given the fact that you don't have many assets 
at the moment. And there's so much cap space available next summer. Not that uh, the Wizards have not necessarily been known. What the DC nightlife is going to be attracting. uh... Yeah, and I might move back at some point, so people are going to be excited (laughs) about that. Um, So there's a lot happening for DC, I think. Um, Okay, let's go to Phoenix. Like I mentioned, this is the... This is the headline. Uh, we are a national NBA podcast with our, you know, biases showing every now and then. So we had to start with the Wizards. However, holy shit. So Phoenix, fresh off of uh, getting spanked by Denver, though somehow they won more games against them than any other team in the playoffs, uh, decides instead of breaking up every player from Book- that isn't Booker or Durant into more depth, namely Aiton and Paul, Let's go the other way. Fuck it. Let's go get a third star. Um, so they obviously receive Bradley Beal. They receive a couple other players, uh, Jordan Goodwin and Isaiah Todd from the Wizards. But the headline, of course, is Beal to form KD's latest super team. I have pretty strong views on this. I don't want to cloud what you think. So let's start with how you view this trade uh, positively or negatively for Phoenix. Definitely negatively. Uh, I'm actually usually pro take the swing, go after the big player. I actually look positively on the KD trade for that same reason. He adds a ton of assets, promising player in Mikel Bridges, but you got to do it. And I think this, though, the the problem I have with this actually is less about the, oh, the skill sets are redundant or you don't have defense or, you know, you're spending 50 million. Those are all issues. Mine is the no trade clause. This thing is just getting passed around. Yeah, And I think for the, the Suns, if this doesn't work out, you've got no moves left. You're going to be in absolute purgatory because you've given up all your picks in the Durant deal. Durant's only getting older. And Beal now, once again, is going to control his destination. If he wants to get traded, then he's going to leave you with pretty much nothing uh, coming off his contract. So I I think my issue is that you're, you're getting him. I wish they would have somehow done this deal and waived the no trade clause. I don't even know if that was on the table or discussed, but actually that's my biggest problem. Cause when you make a move like this and it doesn't work out, the worst thing that can happen is you have no outs whatsoever. And I think this binds them pretty tightly and gives them no real path out. If this doesn't work and it's okay to do that. If you have a really good idea of it working like i think the paul george Kawhi leonard as much as people now look back on that as the the number of picks given up and shay gilch alexander it's still like the ceiling of those guys and what it could have been and we saw that in the bubble or before the bubble um even like last year or two years ago it was a very good team i just i think this version of the suns though is still too flawed for me to really buy into the fact that they should have made this move. So I'm pretty negative on it. It could end up working out, but I, I just think that that no trade clause and picking that up and giving yourself no outs. That's my biggest problem. Yeah, it's fair. So to, to clarify your point, my understanding is that teams asked Beal uh, as they were working with him on potential trades, if he would waive or drop the no trade clause from his contract. And he declined in all instances, including with Phoenix. But then I like at, at that point play hardball, right? Like, right. fine, sit in Washington. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a cat and mouse game, right? Because if 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 it Miami's willing to do it and Phoenix isn't, Phoenix doesn't want to lose Beal. Here's where I le- okay. So I said I had strong views. I hated this trade for Phoenix. Um, I've been listening to a bunch of different views on it. Let me start with why I might be wrong. And that is simply put, there's no world in which they're getting a player anywhere close to the caliber of Bradley Beal for what they gave up. Right. So at the end of the day, um, with no picks, with no real young assets, with no contracts they're willing to trade or that people were dying to have, the fact that they were able to get a Bradley Beal, a three-time All-Star, a guy who's averaged 30 points a game twice in his career, a guy who's succeeded playing off-ball with John Wall into that mix is in a vacuum a no-brainer. So I understand that logic. However, you're talking about a guy 
who gets hurt all the time and adding it to two more guys who get hurt all the time and having a team that between those three and Aiden are already at $162 million against the cap. So what is the plan here with even one injury at any given moment? Durant is easily the most indispensable player on the team, but even if you get an injury to Beal or to Booker, you're asking your two stars and in Durant, an aging one, Beal's now going to be on the wrong side of 30 next season. Like, What evidence do we have that this team won't fall apart physically over the course of the year? We've seen it all the time. And then because of the lack of depth, it's not even like they can just necessarily supplement um, because of this – you know, being a, a, a behind the second apron, there's going to be all sorts of implications to roster building in that standpoint. And I guess to your point, uh, tying there, when you've locked yourself in, does this core, is this core better than Denver's? And I'm not sure that I see it as such. And so then I'm wondering, what is the angle you're trying to play versus saying, hey, we have two stars. Let's go build a really good nucleus around those guys. And that's the thing. We already got the lesson from the past postseason that those two stars were good. The two stars were electric. The two stars could carry you offensively on their own. We right, saw that in game exactly. three and four. We just saw it. Right? We saw that the issue was the depth and relying on any player on that roster was crippling them. And if you don't get 40 from De- from Booker and 40 from KD, you're going to lose. So I think we already learned that lesson, which is surprising that they didn't realize that. But also to your point about the third, you know, one big argument for the third star is that insurance. And I think although the Nets failed, I think one thing the Nets big three made a lot of sense was that when one of those guys wasn't playing, KD and Kyrie were still pretty dynamic. KD and Harden were still pretty dynamic. Kyrie and Harden, I'm not sure how much they played, but like even that you can talk yourself into, right? But I don't think you can create those same combos with Booker and Beal and Beal and Durant and still kind of maintain that being a dominant team. And so, yes, it's insurance. Yes, you can never have enough stars. Yes, they didn't give up anything really in the grand scheme of things. But it's $50 million, or how much is he making? 50 55 Yeah, I mean, he's 48 this year, and that's got, I think, escalating. He's got a player option in three years for $57.6 million, and they don't have any other outs. So it's not even uh, – you can't – review it in a vacuum you have to review it in the context of what else could happen right the opportunity cost and who are you going to go and and your your point about denver i think these teams i think what's different from making a big three 20 years ago or 15 years ago and making one today is every i think every team your starting five has to be solid Mm -hmm. there's no room you like if you have a player who can't is very offensively challenged or defensively challenged they're getting played off the floor especially in the playoffs. And so I think it's even more imperative these days that you have those guys who round out your roster at the four, at like the fourth or fifth roster spot. I don't think you can get away with three stars and no name scrubs that worked in the past. I don't think it works anymore. And a team like Denver, like you said, will just prey on that. And so I, I think in today's day and age, this is not the model you want to go with. And even if it is the model, Beal is not the third star on top of these two guys, that's going to get you there. Yeah. Well, I do think they're going to be awesome in the regular season. And I think that they're going to have these nights where they're going to beat the shit out of the Mavericks. Let's say it's going to be like 135, 107. Beal, Booker, and Durant are going to combine for like 96 points. And we're going to be like, oh my God, this is like basketball future. But you add another really high volume mid-range shooter another guy who's seen his free throw uh, attempts decline, who doesn't necessarily shoot threes with volume or proficiency in the last four to five years. So when we talked about the math equation being difficult for Phoenix, it got that much more difficult by this kind of move. And again, maybe their angle is like, look, we have Bradley Beal now, whereas before we had uh, Chris Paul and Landry Shaman, 38-year-old Chris Paul and Landry Shaman, what are we even talking about? And there's definitely validity to that. I just don't know that, like, if you're going to make one move, is this the move? Um, What I'm curious about, and maybe what we'll see, actually, Karthik, to justify if this was a smart move or not, 
let's see what the Wizards might get in a Chris Paul trade. Um, and if it's next to nothing, we'll know that there wasn't much chance for them to split up uh, his contract into multiple valuable role players. Granted, it's not apples to apples since you know the Wizards are probably looking for something different than what the Suns are looking for. But I'm curious the quality of the trade package for Chris Paul um, because that might indicate what their other options were, if it, if anything, such that it could say, hey, like, rather than get a bunch of scrubs, we got Bradley Beal and those those guys, like, Chris Paul doesn't really have a lot of value, believe it or not, at $30 million a year. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But I, I just think that even if you didn't make the move for Beal, couldn't they have made other moves around the edges? I think so. Yeah, I definitely think so. So I'm not, I don't know that I can call myself a proponent of this deal because I'm not sure that I, I necessarily understood, you know, the why. I mean, I get they're going big game hunting, but I also feel like there's a big element of this that's just like, this is the new owner trying to kind of implement or put his mark on the whole franchise. And he did it in a big way with Durant, and now he's trying to do it once more uh, with Bradley Beal, he fired the coach. Um, you know, he traded Paul, who was like in short order a franchise icon in some ways for how he helped turn this thing around. So he's doing his, uh, you know, tour of, of change. And this could be a shrewd move or it could be another way to flex power. Yeah. In his mind, you know, HBO probably feels like he already doubled down with Durant. Why not continue to double down? Like why now say this is the line we, we stop at? Exactly. Um, if we're able to get it without really giving up much, why would we not do it? So I get the mindset. I get it. It's, but it's actually pretty funny how this is universally panned. <laughs> I don't feel like I've seen many people, everyone admits they can be good in the regular season. Like you said, there's going to be nights where they're electric, but no one has confidence that this is improving their chances against the Nuggets. Um, now, granted, Beal could return to all NBA Beal. And they figure it all out, and this team just puts up 140, 145. It doesn't matter. There's just so many variables, though. When you factor in the injury, you factor in his poor shooting these last couple of years, you factor in just the major, major gaps in the roster. Too many things that make me think this will not work out as well as they hope it will. What's your take, though, on the Western Conference right now? Because it feels like it's wide open. So as I'm listening to us talk about this, it almost feels like if you're really worried as like, all right, we're not as good as this one contender who happens to be the defending NBA champion, then that's maybe overthinking it. Because every year, no matter what the year, we always see variance. We always see luck, bad luck, etc. So we always talk about you can't guarantee yourself a championship. You can only guarantee being – or you can only – uh, guarantee yourself being part of the conversation. And I think Phoenix has strengthened their position probably from last season, depending on what they do with Aiden and how they fill out the rest of the roster. But, you know, are we overthinking this? Because it's like if we're looking at one team as the prohibitive favorite, like where does Phoenix now stack rank, again, without knowing any or most of the offseason moves for the other teams against the other teams in the West? Well, Phoenix was the second I think best team in the West after Denver. I think most people would agree with that. After this trade, they're still the second best team. Closer, still the second best. So I don't know how much it really helps, right? Like there could have been a situation if they didn't go after Beal, Denver has an injury. Denver has some kind of, you know, something that afflicts their next season. And all of a sudden Phoenix is in the driver's seat if they can be healthy. Can't that still be the case though? That could still be the case. But my biggest problem is that, yes, if you're that close to your point, Go for it. Go all in. But they're just so limited in what they can do with this roster. So if they don't make, if they don't win this year, what's your move for the following season? What's your move for the, you need to give yourself some kind of flexibility. And I just think that they have nothing now. And they're saddled with this contract for the next four years, maybe three. Yep. And, and, and the West is wide open though. To your point, the West, I think everyone penciling in the Lakers to be just as good as next year. I don't think they will be. Um, They've got a lot of, if, they stand pat. I mean, they're trying to get Kyrie, and I know they've they're still maybe get uh, play for Chris Paul if he gets waived. But I don't think they're going to be as good. Memphis is missing Jaw. Sacramento overperformed. Uh, the Clippers 
are, you know, with Kawhi, who knows what this helps. So this is a wide open West. So I get the logic. It's wide open. Give yourself the best shot. Go after that third guy. But you're still not better than Denver, and you're crippling your future. It's going to be fascinating to watch because they have, I think, four picks in a swap owed to Brooklyn. Um, I believe one of those picks probably will convert as of tomorrow for the draft, and so three more to go plus a swap. They are walking the tightest of ropes uh, between absolute detonation of this roster um, and a lot of people are comparing this to Prokhorov taking over the Nets um, and how part of the reason they weren't worried about the swaps and the picks owed to Boston is that they were going to keep spending and spending and spending so they would never be bad until they decided, wait a second, we don't want to spend anymore. We're going to have to suck. And so if Phoenix continues to spend, even despite all the second apron penalties, the luxury tax penalties, etc., um, that would certainly keep them competitive if they finally decide they've had enough. If this does not work out into a championship, then you could see this get ugly very, very quickly. Yeah, we'll see. We don't know, right? This is new ownership. Uh, we'll find out in the next couple of years. Um, He's coming in with a bang, though, needless to say. Yeah, for sure. I've never seen an owner come with this much of a bang in his first uh, first two years. Question for you, though. Uh, I know Beal kind of left a sour taste in all Wizard fans' mouth. Are you rooting for him? Are you still, I mean, this is a guy that still gave you some good years as part of that wall tandem. Are you going to be fondly rooting for him and kind of, or are you still pissed and bitter and hope that he doesn't have the same success? I was thinking about this because I, you know, I love KD. However, I've been pretty critical on him recently because of how disappointed I am at his career choices some of the success or lack thereof he's had down the stretch, et cetera. Um, I, don't, I wouldn't call myself a Devin Booker fan. I like his game. I root, I sort of, sort of, you know, slightly cheer for him. And then it's like, oh, they add Bradley Beal, who's, you know, a franchise guy in D.C., finally gets to go to a winning situation. I am rooting against this team so hard. Um, I don't know why exactly. Like, I can't <laughs> – tell you specifically what has possessed me to be this anti Beal. Like I mentioned, he was probably the most hated superstar in franchise in team sports by any, any given uh, franchise's fan base. But now that he's not in DC, he's not necessarily like affecting us, but maybe it's the trade value. Maybe it's the no trade clause or what we got back or his always bullshit quotes about working hard and accountability while doing none of the above. And like, it just the guy grinds my gears, and the last thing I feel like I want him rewarded for is just kind of, you know, what you call loyalty, I call t- taking every last dollar that's available to him per the CBA in DC. <laughs> and so that's what he did on every contract he was given. He made as much money as you could possibly make for a person of his career. Um, and I look at it like a guy who was continually cashing checks and. Didn't play a lot of basketball, and when he did, he was fine and wasn't really that great for the team. So I'm rooting against him, and I hope Denver wipes the floor with them next season in the playoffs. Damn, that's fair. And breaking news, the Porzingis trade has gone through. It has. Wow. Well, it's just reported. Boston oh. Celtics are finalizing a deal to acquire Kristaps Porzingis. He's opting into his $36 million contract for next season and getting his trade. Wow. Okay, so this is interesting because I believe in the previous deal we had where Marcus Morris was an expiring contract, and we've been pretty adamant to not take on new money beyond next season. I'm very curious who we got. I imagine Gallinari was in it, maybe Brogdon. So what exactly came back to us? Wow. So we're, we're reacting live on this. Yep. I mean, Woj kind of fucked this because he said everyone walked away and like deleted each other's numbers. (laughs) Yeah. He said this, the sides have moved on. (laughs) Uh, to be fair, he tweeted like five minutes later, I guess after that, that, uh, um, Washington 
and Boston were trying to work out a deal. It looked like the Clippers had pulled out because of Brogdon's issues. So let's see um, what the return is. I don't want to react to it until I know what's coming back. This happened with nine minutes left. Tyus Jones to the Wizards. Uh Completing a three-way deal with Boston and Memphis. Interesting. How do you feel about that? He's great. I mean, (laughs) I don't understand. This is live reaction. I don't understand. Memphis is without John Morant for 25 games. Yeah, wait. What is Memphis? How are they involved? Um, I am Jones. This is good podcast content. I'm completely floored. I don't, I don't quite understand. I mean, Tyus Jones is a really nice piece. Uh, but what is Memphis doing? Are they getting Brogdon, presumably? Oh, if they're the third team, like that could be the move. Oh my god. Okay, interesting. So I wonder if the Wizards fashion Tyus Jones as the point guard of the future. I mean, that's let's let's calm ourselves. Tyus Jones is a nice player. He will be your tank commander. He will be it. Well, don't worry, there's a line. You have to get in that line before you can be the tank commander in DC. I mean, he's no spring chicken, right? This is his what? He's been in the league eight years now? So, you, yeah, you, you I just don't be getting a that. Sorry, I, go ahead. I No, I literally just realized Tyus Jones has been in the league for eight years. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I, he's not going to magically become your point guard of the future. This guy's, this guy's old, man. Um, I'm very confused. So anyway, instead of, uh, I guess like listening to me and visualizing my jaw hitting the floor as these, I'm just confused as to what's going on and why we need Tyus Jones, but nonetheless. Okay. So we're pulling the plug. Uh, Phoenix is going for it. We both agree. They're probably still second, but closing the gap a little bit on Denver. Yep. Part of me is happy to see Bradley Beal in a competitive environment again to see what he'll look like. He was so overpaid and underqualified to be the lead dog. The fact that there's an owner that's willing to pay that salary for him to be the third option is amazing. Um, so, you know, I'm sure he'll flourish in that role because that's what he's really destined for is just never going to match the contract he got here. Yeah. Yeah, that's one way to look at it, right? He, who knows? Now he's motivated. You're playing on a team that's actually doing something. The losing takes a toll, man. I mean, I think we see this all the time. I think even with Fox, right? A player who seemed to start slipping. Everyone after a certain point, you just cannot thrive in an environment of losing. Um, and so Beal, who he, that's the thing, right? If he turns it back, he's shooting 40% from three. He's a dynamic scorer, 20 to 25 a game. It could look really good, but it's just hard with the injury history, with the fact that it's been three years since he's been that kind of a player. um, It's still asking for a lot, but hey, you're going to get open shots. That's one thing that'll happen with a team with Duran and Booker. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's going to get open looks. Um, Okay. So let's switch gears. I think this Porzingis trade is probably too new to react to. We don't exactly even know what the full terms are. However... Let's talk about, uh, so we have this draft tomorrow. I think neither you or I uh, would be mistaken for Jonathan Gavoni, um, draft expert extraordinaire. So I want to talk about this in a little bit of different context. Um, so maybe let's just go through a few teams that are top of mind for me and for you on like kind of what's who's interesting right now in this draft. So I think San Antonio at the top. They, uh, uh, of course, got the prize uh, of Victor Wembanyama. I don't think there's much to discuss with what they're going to do. There's probably a decent question about how competitive or how aggressive they want to be in free agency. I know Bill Simmons keeps pushing for them to sign uh, Austin Reeves, probably just to get rid of him for the Lakers. But I don't think that they're they're going to go for it quite yet. So let's assume they draft Victor, they slow play it, and they build that out. Charlotte. 
this is my first team that I would pick. Charlotte at number two is super interesting for a couple reasons. One, Lamelo is extension eligible in a year. He was, I think, the second youngest player beyond Kobe Bryant to ever make an all-star team, yet you don't necessarily feel like, at least I don't feel like he's a franchise guy in that same vein that you can build around. Um, they're going to have to make a decision on him. They have potentially Miles Bridges coming back, serving what was what will be the strangest suspension that I can remember uh, in recent years, as well as having sat out all of last season. So I believe he'll be back in some capacity. I have no clue what that contract will look like. Um, and then you have a bunch of guys who are Jags, right? You have PJ Washington, James Booknight, um, Mark Williams could be okay. But again, like, you know, Gordon Hayward's still on this team, Terry Rozier. So just, it's hard to tell, like, why this team would be any better next season. So what what are your thoughts? Because at two, keep hearing this Brandon Miller buzz while everyone else thinks Scoot Henderson would be the number one pick in any other year except for this. So is Charlotte overthinking this? Are they not feeling like they understand how a Scoot-Lamello pairing will work? What What do you see with them? What do you think they should do? Scoot, for sure. I They're overthinking this big time. They're doing the yeah. same thing the Kings did where they're thinking about the fit with Fox and you know, he'd pair better with Bagley than he would Luka. Um, I I think, and hey, look, if you're going to talk about, and I know you half-jokingly say this, but LeBron's GOAT candidacy gets hurt by his GMing. I mean, Jordan's GOAT legacy then should be take... <laughs> Don't Nick Rambert, right dude. I can't handle this right now. He, he's literally selling... I mean, he's he's not even a good part of the ownership anymore, and he's the one pulling the final trigger on this decision. And he's leaning Brandon Miller. And I just think that that's, this is a really, uh, I think this is a very, very impactful decision that they make. If they choose Brandon Miller over Scoot, Scoot has all the, you know, looks like he has all the tools to be pretty good, consistent all-star, just because of the frame, the physicality, the work ethic. Brandon Miller, I think there's still a lot of open questions. I mean, he just called the GOAT Paul George. I think there's a lot of things you'd have to question about this guy, not even mentioning the whole gun incident. Um, so I think it's it's a it's a mistake. You take best player available, and then you figure it out with LaMelo and Scoot. At the very least, one of those becomes a really juicy trade asset if you can't work it out together. I, I just think that they're overthinking this. Let me break some news quickly before I get back to that. Marcus Smart is heading to Memphis. Wow. As part of this three-way deal. So right now, all we know is the principal players involved are Porzingis to Boston, Tyus Jones to D.C., and Marcus Smart, the longest-tenured Celtic who's been there since 2014, going to Memphis. Fills the void of what they lost with Dylan Brooks without all of the, like, extraneous bullshit yeah they get an adult they get the uh, somewhat you know actually they're kind of similar in a lot of ways but at least marcus smart's an adult on the surface i really kind of like it wow grizzlies are sending two first round picks to the celtics um interesting that is fairly big price that is a Um, lot for marcus smart so they're sending number 25 and then the Golden State pick next year. So assuming that's in the 20s as well is my guess. So it's not necessarily like premium, premium picks. Wow. Um, okay. Yes, I agree with you. I think they're totally overthinking this. Scoot is the future and they need to worry about best player available, acquiring talent. To me, with Lamella's size and the fact that he's become a reliable shooter... I don't see why it's that difficult for them to play together, right? Like, everyone keeps saying that this isn't something that would work, but why? They're both good ball handlers, good passers. You know, LaMelo is 6'6". They have size. He's not necessarily a locked-in defender, but he could defend bigger players. Um, I just think that right right now, they just need top-end talent. And they're trying to go fit. They're trying to do some weird stuff with Brandon Miller, who – I liked, but then I saw him in the tournament and he was just terrible, and I don't know what to make of that. Um, maybe he'll rebound and be fine, but I just feel like Scoot's ceiling is so much higher. It's very strange to me, and it feels very much a fit-based pick 
than it is like a talent-based pick. And that is a very bad idea when you're picking at number two. And we've been talking all year that this is really a two-person draft. I mean, not even, look, Wemby's in one tier, then Scoot's in the next tier, and then there's a drop-off. Uh, and like you said, Brandon Miller didn't do himself any favors with the, with the tournament, so I don't know why it has to be fit that they're thinking about. And it really doesn't make any sense. So I, and you know, that leads to maybe we talk about Portland because they're then in the position of potentially getting Scoot at three, falling into their laps where, you know, gives them some hard decisions around what to do regarding Dame and and the direction they want to go in. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on Portland? Dude, I don't know how much more we got to talk about this shit with them, man. (laughs) I'm so sick of it. Like, the move is obvious. It's trade Dame for the mother load and boot this thing up. What I have not yet heard anybody talk about because they either respect Dame too much or he's good at the media or whatever else, no one talks about the fact that he may just not be a good enough player to be what he wants in Portland. And I don't, it's not about the teammates necessarily. He himself is probably not a player that you can have as the best player on a title contender. And they haven't been great at putting rosters around him, but I also don't think that they've been anywhere close to competitiveness. And so it's not like you can add like a Siakam or OG Ananobi or, you know, like whatever collection of dudes who you think, even if they traded number three for Paul George, that team's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And you allegedly have two top 20 players. But part of that is because Dame's not a top-tier guy. Everyone's like, oh, he's Steph in the wrong environment. No, he's not. And I love Dame as a player, but we just have to be serious and honest with ourselves about what his ceiling is, especially at this age. I know he was amazing last year. He needs to get up out of there and come to grips with that. And more importantly, Portland needs to because they have a real, real chance between Shade and Sharp and whatever he could be and, you know, if they're so lucky to have Scoot fall to them, that is the backcourt where dreams are made of. They'll probably still be bad for another year. They pick up a wing or a big, and they have a core that actually makes a lot of sense to build in the next era. Not mm-hmm. to mention everything they would get back in a Dame trade. I'm tired of this, like, we're going to either draft young guys and keep them, or we're going to trade for vets, and Dame puts out his normal uh you know interviews and quotes every every summer like i'm over it like let's move on let's find a new show i agree and i I just think that dame doesn't want to make that call and the franchise doesn't want to make that call so they're just in this awkward standoff and i think somebody has to just cave and be like look this we both got to move on dame's got to move on portland's got to move on and like you said they've got if they're able to get off Dame and they're able to get some return for him, they're in a very, very good position uh, with the assets they have, especially with the third pick this year. So it, it, in some ways, it's a no-brainer. Um, whereas the flip side is with Dame, it's going to take a lot to put together a team that can compete with Phoenix and Denver. Um, and Memphis now. I mean, Memphis was always still good, but it's even harder now. So... I, I totally agree. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of Dame. Like, Dame should just freaking grow some balls and ask for the trade. But his bitch ass wants to talk about loyalty all day. So we know it's not going to come from him. I think Portland has to make the call and decide, hey, look, we're going to send you to a place where you can have a chance to win, and we're going to move on. Yeah, I mean, they need to frame it the way the Wizards did, which is like, look, we know you want to win. We want to win with you. We just don't think the timelines are going to be able to match. And then trade him for five um, second round picks. <laughs> yeah, well, to try to, I, I, I ideally try to do that before it gets to that point. Um, yeah. So I think, uh, you know, the Miami package, it's not that enticing to me. What it'll be like Hero, Yovich, Lowry, and a couple firsts. Like, I don't know, whatever. I'm not sure there's a mother load available for him, though. Brooklyn would probably be the best one where it's like all of the Phoenix picks plus Cam Thomas, maybe Ben Simmons to match salary, or you go the Dinwiddie, Joe Harris route if they don't want to touch Simmons with the 10-foot pole, which I totally understand. You obviously can't include Bridges in that trade if you're Brooklyn because at that point you just built Portland East. 
Um, so you need some top end talent, but that would be the only other one that makes sense from a pick equity standpoint. I actually don't think he's going to go. I mean, he'll go for a lot, but I don't think it's going to be as high as you would think for a player of his caliber. I don't think the market is that. You've got Miami and Brooklyn, I think, were the two biggest names, right? Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I don't see it being that great. I think you, if you get two or three first rounders plus a young player, that's, you know, like a hero, that's a decent asset. That's probably what you expect as Portland. But you know what? It's fine. I think it's fine. I think if you get like three first rounders, you've got this year's number three. You've already got Sharp, as you said. You've got Simons. You get another young player in this deal. There's a lot to work with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they'll be right there with us trying to tank for for the next star. So um, my next team is Indiana at number seven. It seems by all indications that they're sort of ready to, to be competitive. They got an all-star season in Halliburton before they shut him down. Um, they had basically what? Wow, so Boston got two first-round picks and Porzingis for Smart as of now. Anyway, they got two picks as of now. Let's see. That's what that's what uh, Woj is announcing. Those picks have got to come to us, though. What the fuck? Like, why would they get the best player and um two picks? Let's see what that happens. Um, anyway. Indiana looks like they're trying to win now, but they're not quite ready to have Halliburton. They locked up Turner. So I'm just curious what they're going to do at seven. Do they draft a guy? Do they try to trade for, not to plug another wizard, but someone like Kyle Kuzma? Like, who knows what they're looking to do? OG Ananobi, is that the move? I'm interested to see what Indiana does uh, because they need to pick a lane soon, and I'm sure they're ready to win. Carlisle is not a guy who's going to be their coach to tank very long, and they probably feel like they're close. They just need a couple more. Uh, pieces along the fringes. Yeah, Indiana's an interesting one. The other one I've got my eye on is I don't know what Toronto's doing. Um, yeah. These guys are getting floated in trades, right? Siakam and Anobi. But then you also read things that they're kind of committed to this roster. And I don't know. They're probably just trying to drive up the price. But I, I can also, I would not even be surprised if they just keep the same roster going into next year again. When really, I think they need to start moving off of some of these contracts or some of these players, and and rebuild. So that's one that I'm, you know, the Kings have been mentioned in, in deals or discussions for Siakam and Ananobi. I want to see if something gets done there, because um, that's a team that's kind of caught in this weird no man's land right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Toronto is one. I saw a report that said they don't feel like they're that far behind Miami. And when I read that, I was like, dear God. Yeah. But see, do you think that's just because, like, they are driving the price up on these guys? Like, they've got to play hardball. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's delusional. There's no way they think that. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and, like, their pieces don't really fit. Van Vliet is now an unrestricted free agent. So if he walks, you're even, uh, you know, you're decimated even more so. They have like four guys that they trust. I mean, I know there's a new coaching staff. Who is the coach in New York, uh, in Toronto? No, it's the Serbian dude, right? No, oh my God, I'm forgetting his name. Yeah, they just hired a guy because they, you know, they fired Nick Nurse. I have to look it up. It's um, Darko Rajic. Yeah, Rajakovic. Or- so who knows what his rotations are going to look like? Nurse trusted like four guys, but the same point there isn't a lot of depth on that team and you might lose van bleed for nothing and so that's going to become even less gary trent declined his option and so who knows if he's going to end up walking so it's just uh i don't know that's the that's the issue with me yeah so all right so we're excited for the draft tomorrow i think there's a lot uh to happen it looks like I'm just going to go cry about whatever we did with this Porzingis deal. (laughs) Um, But at the very least, I believe there's more activity coming. This whole second apron thing and all the financial implications of it, I think teams are going to panic. They're going to make different decisions. And 
ideally teams like the Wizards are now positioned to take advantage as, as everyone learns what the new rules are. So looking forward to the draft tomorrow, I guess really quickly before we go and non Victor scoot uh, Miller, cause those are probably the top three. Who's your favorite guy that you like in this draft? If not for enough, if not for those three. Uh, I think it's scoot. Um, not those three. I just said that. Uh, I'm gonna go deep. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go Amari Bailey from UCLA. Um, he's projected to go as a second rounder right now. I think he's a first round talent. High, uh, big high school pedigree. Uh, really came on towards the end of the season with Jalen Clark's injury. Had a great combine. He's a big guard who can pass. Who can play really good defense. Uh, I think the the comp that I've seen is Avery Bradley. Um. And I think he's a first-round talent, and he's falling into the second. So I think whoever takes him, just remember, I think he's going to be really good. Yeah, I like that. I saw some clips of him. Um, I was worried about his hairline a little bit, but yeah, uh, it's bad. It's other bad. than that, um, I, was, I was like, is this me or is this a high school kid coming or a college <laughs> kid coming to the draft? So other than that, I think uh, he looked good. I'm going to go um, – Grady Let's Dick. See. No. I'm thinking Grady Dick. No, I'm going to go Kaysan Wallace. He seems to have, when I mock drafts first started coming out, he was like picked in the top 10. He's fallen all the way to the 15s or the 20s era around there. But these Kentucky guards, man, they're always better in the NBA at scoring than uh, than they seem to be projected to be. Um, and I think he's a good facilitator. So I'm going to just pick him as the next uh, lineage of Kentucky guards who outperform in the NBA. You can't go wrong with that bet. I feel like I, I like him too. I think he's a he'll be a good player in the league. Yes, sir. All right. That's a wrap for us. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media. Check out the draft tomorrow night. We will be back next week with a recap and a preview uh, for free agency. So have a good week, and we will talk to you. Talk to you then.